going on, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 216. And today we're sitting down with Nick Rude to talk about his book, Only Love, how everything was, is, and will be. And I love, I really loved this episode. This conversation was really good uh, because Nick talked to me about the need to rethink Uh, to rethink, to reimagine who God is. And I love that because if you grew up like me in the more conservative evangelical world, the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what the Bible says. So why would we need to rethink God when God isn't changing, right? That's the immediate thing that came to my mind, because even though even though I don't think that way anymore, <laughs> that voice is still inside. But we talk about how in the Bible, we see, we see the writers of the books, of the letters, they're just consistently rethinking who God is, right? Genesis through Revelation, everybody's rethinking God. Everybody's reimagining God in their context, culminating in the person of Jesus, because Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, like God is this way. This is the way things are, but I'm showing you it's actually quite different. There's a, there's a need to reimagine who God is for your context. So Nick's helped us kind of take a step into a long line of people who have been reimagining God for their context and helps us do the same with this message of only love and i'm really excited to share it with you so i'll put all the links to nick and his stuff in the show notes uh by the way his last name is rude uh but it's spelled r-u-u-d so if you go look it up on amazon or something like that r-u-u-d uh nick rude so anyway and nick n-i-q so there's a whole lot of curveballs here with his name make sure you get it right n-i-q r-u-u-d it's how you spell his name nick rude so anyway i'll put all the stuff in the show notes uh, also in the show notes is a link to my book, Rethinking Everything, available on Amazon. Uh, Patreon, buy me a coffee. Patreon. Patreon is a is becoming a wild place. I'm really excited about Patreon because lots is changing. It's going to be very community-based. So if you're looking for uh, people to get to know on your spiritual journey, Patreon is the place to be. Uh, anywhere from $3 a month up to whatever you would like to go a month and every tier gets the same reward, which is entry into this community. We're going to have a discord chat group that goes on all day long about whatever it is that you want to talk about. Send pictures of your kids, talk about life, burning questions about God, whatever. We're going to have a monthly Zoom kind of hangout, Zoom chat uh, with the, the everybody who's on Patreon will be invited to that. Uh, we're going to have book clubs, just so many different things to try to connect people together because like we're all on this journey a lot of us listen to this podcast consistently i sit down this mic every week to record a conversation so let's let's develop a i don't know let's let's make this more of a family feel let's use all the virtual tools we have and let's really strengthen this family that we have are evolving around this this podcast and these conversations and get to know each other a little bit so that's what patreon's for even if you can't give $3 a month, you can even go down to $1 a month. Whatever it is you want to give, uh, you get entrance into this community. And there's also no pressure to stay giving. Uh, even if you give for like two months, three months, four months and stop giving, 
you're still part of the community. We don't we don't kick you out. <laughs> you still get to be part of all of the fun. So really just trying to change up Patreon and the way it operates as opposed to give more money and get more things. It's just give what you can and uh, give what you want, whatever, and be part of this community and uh, have some friends along the way. So anyway, all the links will be in the show notes. And uh, that's it. I'm going to stop talking. Uh, let's roll this tape. Let's get this going. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Rude, in his book, Only Love. Let's reimagine and rethink God. Uh, buckle up, my friends. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. This mind don't buy no play by the rules. I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright. Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real, I hope it lands on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill. sometimes kill. it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made us presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts out the question, but it got on my attention Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I mention Looks like I won the game, made my decision I listen. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show Today we're sitting down with Nick Rude Talk about his book, Only Love And it's subtitled, How Everything Was, Is, and Will Be And so Nick, uh, welcome to the podcast, my friend It's an honor to share this space with you Yeah, thanks for having me, Glenn Uh I've been a listener for some time, so it's kind of neat to, to be on the other side of things. I oh, really enjoy sweet. a lot of the content you put out there. This community is really cool. It really is. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I try to try to make it like there's good, decent content, but also uh, people feel a little bit like a, like a family, like people feel like they can pick up some companions <laughs> on the journey. Totally. Awesome. Totally. I appreciate that. So first things first, maybe take a few moments to tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, especially for people who are maybe not familiar with you uh, and your work. Uh, who are you? Uh, what do you do? Some of the highlights of your, of your journey. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I was, I, I'm relatively young, I'm just, I'm 25. So uh, kind of that first quarter of my life, or at least I hope. You're 25 first, with you know, great hair. I'm looking life. at you on the screen right now. Oh, Not everybody can see you, great. but your hair. Excellent. That's so gracious. That's, that's <laughs> gracious. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, the hair had its start in the Northwest. I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, loved loved growing up there. I gener- by and large, went to smaller rural churches. I lived on the eastern side of both Washington and Oregon at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was homeschooled through eighth grade, so it's kind of kind of gives you an idea of the of the worldview that uh, may have formulated to some degree. I worked my way through. Uh, a Christian, a Christian high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually went to undergrad at a, at a Christian, you know, small Christian college. Um, and then my very first job out of college was as a pastor. Uh, you know, I attended, sem- attended seminary while I was working. Um, you know, and I honestly, I did enjoy working as a pastor to some degree. It mm-hmm. wasn't exactly the best of fits. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, just, you know, I was in a, again, a small rural Caucasian context yeah, and it, yeah, it yeah. wasn't, um, didn't necessarily fit where I was ideologically as best as it could. Yeah. And then, uh, recently transitioned to higher ed, which, uh, different world, uh, but one that I really, really enjoy. And then I'm also a postgrad student 
uh, trying to work towards a PhD in science and religion at the University of Edinburgh. So beyond that, for fun, I like to write. I do, you know, I love reading. So I write book reviews, uh, I like writing articles here and there. And then obviously uh, the debut book, Only Love, which came out uh, late last year. That's awesome. And we have a very similar, kind of a similar story because I, I, didn't, I didn't, I wasn't homeschooled, but I was in a private Christian school from the fourth yeah. through 12th grades. And wow. I'm sure we could swap significant amount of stories <laughs> together. Yeah. But then I went from there to Bible college and in Bible college, I did like the, I majored in youth ministry. So I got like an internship, you know, I did a bunch of different youth, youth stuff. And then I went to seminary sure. and after seminary, I became a pastor and similar to your own story, just wasn't, there's a lot of things I enjoyed, but it just wasn't really the best fit, I think for me. And I realized like going to seminary, I was like, you're supposed to be a pastor. You're supposed to graduate, become a pastor. It's what everybody does. That's and I right. did it. And I got like two years in. I'm like, I don't feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, fun, no, it's funny how you have these dreams, but it comes to be something different, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. All right. So your book, uh, Only Love, it's like I said before, it's so good. I think it's a message that so many people uh, need to hear, but maybe give us like the elevator pitch for the book so people can pause the episode, head to Amazon, maybe get overnight shipping or same day, depending on where you live. But <laughs> what's the book about? Uh, who is it for? Uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I think that a lot of authors want their books to have a very wide and popular appeal. Certainly, mm -hmm. you know, they want their books to be for, for everyone. Uh, but this book is for Christians. I'll be honest. You know, I've had a couple of atheist friends read it. I had a, one Muslim friend read it. Uh, you know, we've talked about it. Um, and it's, it's not like it's off limits for folks who aren't, aren't Christians. Sure. But um, uh, it was written explicitly for Christians. And I use Christian nomenclature throughout. And I really try and make that clear in the book's introduction. You know, I'm going to be using Christian language to talk about things that ideally transcend Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um but part of the reason I did that, part of the reason I targeted the book specifically at a Christian audience, um, and it's part of the reason why I think communities like yours are actually like so fantastic, is because Christianity needs a reboot, at least in my, in my opinion. Christianity needs some kind of reboot. Uh, and for me, the biggest, the most important step in towards working towards that, that new kind of Christianity, it really centers itself around how we think about God. Uh, you know, because Christianity has been... Uh, over the course of many lifetimes, certainly, uh, it's become this very insular thing, I think, in a lot of contexts. Yeah. And it's not like it's that everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But in a lot of places, it is, has become a very insular thing where we've kind of limited the scope of our deity uh, to those within the circle, those who have the, the correct verbiage, the, they're, they're in the they're in. The um, and again, that's certainly not true in all contexts. Uh, and I'm so, I'm so glad for that. Yeah. But in the majority of contexts that I've been steeped in, it has been, that mm -hmm. has been the case that been very insular and in, in the kind of Christianities that I've been a part of. Mm. Um, and so it's for, I guess, the insulated Christians that I know so well uh, that I wrote only love. That was, that's kind of the audience. And that's a big part of the reason why I wrote it too. We got to think about God differently if we want to change how Christianity operates. Yeah. And I think I, you're, you're spot on. And I wasn't sure when I picked up the book, what, what it was going to be like, but you kind of address very early on that you're speaking to that Christian space. And I appreciated that because a lot of books, it's, it's very easy to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's very easy to say, we're just going to, you know, throw Christianity out altogether. We're going to do something completely different, but you're really speaking. 
you spoke to that that young wounded Christian heart inside of me like that, that Christian heart that's been through the private Christian school, the Bible college that picked up some very traumatic theology rather than kind of throw it out. You really spoke directly to it. It kind of helped give it a much different shape, which I really appreciated. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. How do we reshape what we have instead of, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in the book, you, you talk about um, the God that you grew up believing in. And then you talk about what this, 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 what you call a reimagined vision of God. And so I'm interested to hear more about this. I'm sure our listeners are too. So maybe you could tell us a bit about the God you grew up believing in. And I think, like I said, you and I grew up believing in a very similar kind of God. And then maybe tell us about this reimagined vision that you have and maybe what, what launched you into that need to kind of reimagine what God is like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're really getting to the heart of the book, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. I think at the very beginning, I talk about um, how I didn't really like the God that I grew up learning about, the God of my childhood, right? right? I wasn't a big fan of that God. Right. I used, I think I talk about God being like Santa Claus, like this divine Kris Kringle. Yeah, It's kind of keeping track of what I was doing and then working to decide if I belonged on the proverbial naughty or nice list. Yeah. Um, you know, and that same God, if we're going to read through scripture uh, with a certain set of set of lenses on, God's totally capable of punishment, sometimes seemingly justified. Mm-hmm. And then certainly in other cases, not, which, you know, we see the annihilation of several ancient Near Eastern <laughs> people groups. Right. Um, and so I, what that what that God did was begin to erode my understanding of what was actually good. Yeah. Right. Because all along I was told that this God was good, that this God loved me, that this God had my best intentions at heart. Mm -hmm. Um, But then what happens when you start to get a little bit older, you start to doubt the viability of that kind of deity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it happens to a lot of people. It's not just I'm sure a lot of listeners can can totally relate. Uh, It's not just folks like you and I, um, Mm -hmm. because we begin to realize, okay, that love and wrath aren't exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, at least in how we conceptualize them as, as human, at least the way I think about love and wrath, they're really yeah. not, they're very opposites, uh, very opposite ends of, of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, so I guess I just came to a place where I realized that the God that I had inherited kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> that I, when I, when I came to that realization, it was like, okay, I can either become super nihilistic or I can work to reframe reframe revision uh reimagine uh god and so you know a lot of people are probably would probably be kind of surprised to hear this uh but there are what 2.4 billion different versions of the christian god out there because there's you know 2.4 2.5 billion different christians out there yeah um so if they're adhering to some kind of divinity everybody has a little bit different of an idea as to what god is gonna gonna look like and i think we could easily take that a step further and say okay you know, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet today. There's probably 8 billion present day versions of God out there, or at least conceptualizations as to what God is, yeah. not to mention, you know, the billions of others that have existed throughout history. Yeah. And so all this to say, like, how people think about God is very different, no matter who you are. I mean, I like to use my sister as an example. You know, we grew up in the exact same house. Uh, we had the exact same parents <laughs> with the same pets. We ate the same foods. We weeded the same garden. Uh, we, we learned to drive using the same car. 
we went to the same schools, yeah. had the same teachers all the way up through undergrad. Like, you know, we're only two years apart in age. So sure. we've had very, very similar lives. Um, and yet how my sister and I, as similar as she may be to me, how, how, how she and I think about God is actually quite different. Yeah. And that's not to say that one of us is right or any other is wrong uh, in how we think about God. Um, but even with all the parallel paths that our lives have taken, we still see God like totally differently in some ways. Uh, and so how much more differently would somebody think about God who has not shared those many experiences with me mm. that have, you know, their life has been nothing like mine. Their lived experience has been completely different. You know, they may even share the same scriptures and the same traditions, and they may go and sit in the same pew as me, uh, every week or every other week or whatever it may be. Uh, but they're still going to see God a lot differently. And so I guess when I realized this, like when I, when I, when I came to realize that we're all going to see God differently, we're all going to have these different visions of God um, that I was like, if I'm going to retain some sort of deity in my life, some sort of divinity in my life, it'd probably be of best benefit to both me and to those around me to pick the best possible God mm -hmm. instead of picking, you know, <laughs> a God that can both be both loving and wrathful in the same breath that I would, instead uh pick a god that was of the best possible uh best possible uh, best the best possible god imaginable which yeah, yeah. uh the, and that's kind of i guess what we're only love the idea for only love at least uh originated and i hear a, disgrunt, a disgruntlement with that a lot actually mm -hmm. that like you were you were asking has it, the book been relatively well received and i would say yes probably except for this <laughs> Like, and a lot of people are like, okay, Nick, you're limiting God to a concept that can be altered. If you're going to say that, okay, you can pick your own God, essentially, which is kind of in a way what I'm saying, you're limiting God to something, to just a concept that can be altered, right? A God that becomes uh, like a toy for, mm -hmm. for mental gymnastics. Uh, and it's instead of some sort of, you know, reality that's worth devoting one life, uh, one's life into. And while I'm all for utilizing the idea of, god as a toy for gymnastics i do that all the time and i really love it right uh i also think there are acceptable ways that we can go out and reimagine a god or revision a god that's worth retaining that's mm. worth following that's worth holding on to yeah. um and so in only love i kind of hang hang my hat on two different things uh a combination of tradition and my own lived experience that's those are the two things i use uh in the in the book constantly right so my christian roots come from the protestant movement meaning uh 66 books of the bible genesis to revelation that's like that's our bread and butter you know <laughs> uh and so i happily use those 66 books sure. in only love to create a framework yeah uh, for this reimagined version of god but then i don't stop there because i think that tradition right those scriptures by themselves uncontextualized to my life and the lives of those around me mm -hmm. it can prove rather meaningless and I think that's why, you know, church sometimes proves rather meaningless to a lot of people uh, as we're not contextualizing these ancient stories and myths and mysteries mm -hmm. into, into our own, into our own lives. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of use that two pronged approach. Let's, let's, let's use these, let's use these tools, essentially these scriptures as tools to, to guide us in the present, not just tell us about the past. Yeah. And that's that's what I do in the book, you know, using scripture and my own story. There's tons of my own story in there. Um, and it's going to be useful to some people, I hope, but others is 
probably brush right past because you need the scripture and that's that's fine go for it you know i'm not if you buy it i'm not going to tell you what to, what to read and what not to read hey, depends on where right? you are but, yeah because some people need that but some people you know they they need the story to go along with it so i think that you, yeah. you cater to both yeah I, yeah i try to and i want it to be like scripturally sound for the people that need it that way right mm-hmm. i wanted it to be that way but then wholly useful to those of us that are living in the present world and yeah. You know, I think that's where a lot of people, at least in my age bracket, are. We need we need those stories to if we're going to retain anything from Scripture, we need those stories to to make use of it. Yeah. And I love that you use the, the idea of reimagining God, because if you're looking if you're looking at the Scriptures, I think a lot. I know when I was when I identified more as like a fundamentalist, I totally didn't see this until I got out of that world. But if you look at the Bible, the characters of the Bible are reimagining God all the time. Right. Totally. It's like, I mean, you look at like David in the Psalms, it's like he's just constantly reimagining what God is like. You get to the New Testament. Paul yeah. is just constantly reimagining what God is like. Jesus comes along, reimagines what God is like. And Revelation, again, reimagining. It's just constantly reimagining. So I feel like when you use that word, it's like we're just taking our, our space in a long line of people who have gone before us who are reimagining God. And I think that we get so stuck, like in that fundamentalist world of thinking we've got to keep everything the same. We've got to be biblical. This is the biblical God, but the biblical God is one who's constantly evolving and changing in, in the minds and the hearts of his people. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I think that's and a I really important word. You've had Matt Cortman on here before. Yeah. I think I've heard his, at least yeah. I heard his replay episode. You had a bunch of specials that came. Yeah. It was like 20 or something crazy ones. It was like the top you know, 20 or something like that. I was taking a little bit go. of a break and <laughs> we did the top 20. <laughs> yeah. And I listened to that episode or, or maybe a two with him even, but mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's part of the thesis of some of his work has been that too. Like mm-hmm. there's people that are fighting against God and in a sense that what are they doing? They're fighting against God because they, have, they're clinging to, to, to some inkling of an idea that God is better than they have perceived God as being. And in mm-hmm. a way, that's, that's totally what I'm trying to do here. How do we reimagine God? Let's fight against these nasty portraits that we've been presented with and ideally come, come out with something bigger and better. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. So one of the things you said before, you're talking about wrath and judgment and things like that in the Bible. And one of the things that I've, I get a lot with the podcast, like I'll talk a lot about love. I'll talk about a lot about how God is love. And a lot of people from my former tribe hit me with the, the, but right. Like the, but God. So it's like, well, God is love, but God is also a God of judgment. God is also a God of justice and wrath and different things like that. So where do those things, I'm curious, like, where do those things fit into your mm-hmm. theology like if you were to look at the bible and pull out all these passages that refer to judgment or wrath whatever where do they fit or do they not fit at all uh, have you learned to read those things differently like what are your thoughts about those kinds of verses and aspects of of god yeah no i totally grew up with that that god too right the butt god mm-hmm. or the butt jesus um, yeah, i'm gonna make a know, t-shirt god loves you the butt god. Right. <laughs> the butt god. no like god loves you uh, God wants what's best for you, mm-hmm. uh, but you've still got to go and, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Yeah. And there's conditions attached, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is really just an individual imposing their own ideas about God, mm-hmm. be they viable or not. Right. And sometimes they certainly are, but they're doing that and imposing those on somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I guess 
and this is probably going to be, and it has been problematic for some people I've talked to, but the way that I've worked around this, the rule that I guess I've grown into is that if it's not love, it's not God. Yeah. And I, you really don't need to read the book. You don't need to read only love to kind of catch what I hope becomes a more <laughs> right. mainstream theological truth. Yeah. But essentially, and I try and re- reiterate and restate this over and over as many different ways as I can in the book, but that all that is love is God. And all that is not love is not God. And for me, it's really as simple as that. So, you know, when you're talking about something like judgment, right? Yes. When judgment is done in a loving way, sure, that's God, right? When the outcomes are better than than the starting point. Mm-hmm. And justice, you know, that's another word that's thrown out there a lot. Yep. Uh, it can too, I would say, be of God. I mean, think about the difference between something like retributive justice and restorative justice. To, to my mind, one of those is very much God-like. And the other has been attributed God to God in an attempt to control people. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I think we just have to ask ourselves, what is the outcome for the person to whom justice is being served? Right? Are they better off? Have they have they grown because of it, or are they left, you know, stripped of whatever dignity they may have once had sure. uh, during the process? So again, I I would I pick and choose essentially. Only one of those to me is 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 of is good is and therefore it's of god um and people yeah i mean your people are gonna have problems with that i think and i acknowledge that um but again if for me personally if i'm going to spend my life following a god and there are literally billions of ways to think about god um i would hope to worship and i guess by worship i mean to emulate i would hope to emulate the best possible god a god who's judgment and justice and wrath you know brings about the best possible ends through through the kindest of possible means yeah yeah and i I think that's really good i think i think picking and choosing makes a lot of people nervous because you know as (laughs) as a recovering fundamentalist we were told you know that's like the you can't pick and choose you know what what you're going to obey or what you're going to believe like it's it's written in there so you've got to believe it and if it doesn't make sense to you now, like one day when you get to heaven, God will make it all make sense and everything is going to be going to be fine. But to your point, like now I'm in this space where like I I try to read the larger Bible, like through the lens of Jesus, whereas like in mm-hmm. the past, it was the opposite. I would read Jesus through the lens of the larger Bible, which causes, sure. I think, all sorts of of trouble. Like I went through it for the longest time. I, and even today, like I still don't read much other than the gospels. Like I read the gospels mostly, but I feel like I've become so familiar with the gospels and with Jesus that like when I read something in Paul that maybe doesn't reconcile with Jesus, I feel rather comfortable. Some would say maybe too comfortable saying, well, maybe Paul was wrong. You know, maybe Paul just yeah. didn't have it right in this sense, or maybe, you know, John and Revelation just didn't nail it on the head on this one. And like, I feel comfortable realizing that like a human being wrote this book in front of me and that person was trying to understand God to the best of his ability, just like I am, just like I get it wrong sometimes, perhaps this person got it wrong as well. So I feel free to, you know, not like mock that person. So just burn the whole book, but say, well, maybe, maybe he didn't say it the best way, or maybe it it could be differently than he understood it. Totally. Totally. I, I think that when I came to that realization myself that, Oh, these individuals who are writing this stuff down, they're fallible, just yep. like me. Yep. It totally changed the game, totally changed yeah. the game. And it did give me that freedom to be like, okay, let's push back on some of this a little bit more. Yeah. And let's think about God as 
best as we can. Yeah. And you can't, it's hard to have a conversation with somebody like I, a while back, I was having a conversation on Facebook that was getting, was spiraling into, into dark places, but we were <laughs> trying to keep it like as surfacey as I could. And we were going back and forth on this issue. And I, I said to the person, I'm like, I don't think we're ever going to move past this place because the issue that we're talking about isn't the issue. Like the real issue is the fact that you and I see the Bible in two very different ways. And until you understand how I see the Bible and I understand how you see the Bible, that we can get past that, we're never going to be able to address the issue on the table because you're referring to verses that to me are just incorrect, you know, And, and, and that just makes your head spin around and go crazy. I said, which I understand because I came from that world. Like, but unless yeah. we get past this, we're never going to be able to address the topic that is upsetting both of us. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's just it. I feel like that is an impassable chasm for a lot of people. And I think we just need to be okay with that to some degree. Yeah. We need to be like, you know what? We're not going to agree on how we think about scripture, for instance. Yeah. And we need to be okay with that because there, it's really tough to make friends if we don't. That's right. It, it really is. Yeah, that's right. Now you talk about how you mentioned before the the Santa Claus kind of God, the God who's yeah. maybe like looking over your shoulder. He's got like the good list, the bad list, whatever. Uh, you say in the book that that God is a human conceptualization, that that's a, a God that we've in essence made up, so to speak. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, because I, I know this, this came up in our Facebook group a while ago. We were talking about how we tend to make God in our own image. Um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, like there being this, this ultimate God that everybody's on the same page about, we tend to make God in the image that we understand humans to be. And so we make, we kind of portray our own baggage. I'm trying to say onto God. So I'm wondering if like, is that the same kind of tracker going on with this? Maybe you could speak a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I I, I always go back to Santa Claus because it's like, I think the perfect (laughs) perfect metaphor right right where guys santa's like you know when you're sleeping knows when you're awake knows when you've been uh, bad or good so be good for goodness sake like that is so the god that i grew up with right um always wanting to catch us into the in in the act right doing something bad and i'm at a place that that just does not into my framework for the divine Mm. because that's frankly that's not what love does that's what a psychopath Mm. does and i really want to keep god as you know as far away from god is not a psychopath territory as much as we can no honestly yeah um and so you know if we're looking around in scripture uh we can find that god doesn't describe god's self as a psychopath really that much either Mm -hmm. uh in the book i mentioned exodus 34 um it's this is pretty early on as far as the biblical timeline goes Mm -hmm. you know i think it's one of the best examples of where god God essentially just tells us God is gracious, merciful, and loving. And it's amidst a bunch of other stuff that God is kind of doing that's nasty. But I, I love, you know, Paul talks about like clinging to what is good and like tossing out what is evil. So when I find gems like that in scripture, I, I really cling to it. I, I do. And when I'm given, you know, negative portraits of God, even in scripture, because they, they do exist, I, I'm very willing to discard them, kind of like what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, and I've tried to kind of systematize this too, because if we don't, I, I think a lot of people, it makes a lot of people nervous. We have to have some sort of system sure. um, to, to discard those, those vile things that are attached and attributed to God. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know, for me, it's, it's, 
if I'm going to follow a God, I need to follow a God that's better than I am. Mm. And so if, if I, if I wouldn't do that, right. Uh, if I wouldn't command a group of people to go commit genocide, uh, on another, another people group, then probably, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to be willing to, to toss that out. Yeah. So there's tons of places in, in the Bible, particularly Hebrew scriptures. I think people come back to that a lot, uh, that God is definitely a lot worse than I am. Yeah. And that's not like I'm particularly great or anything. Like, honestly, like I'm not, a freak, <laughs> I'm not a wonderful person by any stretch of the imagination. But there's there's tons of places where God is like significantly worse than Nick Rude, yeah. and that's that we we got to deal with it. So, um, one of the one of the places, and I I'm gonna pull this up actually. Yeah, sure. Deuteronomy, and I want to read it because it's it's some nasty stuff. Deuteronomy 20, uh, 13 to seventeen, and I'll I'll read like the NS, NRSV. Should be the King James. That's the only acceptable version. No, no, no. We're going to go. <laughs> okay, here we go. Deuteronomy 20, 13 okay. to 17, NRSV. This is what it says. I'm, I'm quoting scripture, folks. Uh, <laughs> and when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. You may, however, take as your plunder the women, the children, livestock, and anything else in the town and all its spoil. You may enjoy all the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus, you shall treat all the towns that are very far from you, which are not towns of these nations here, but as for the towns of the peoples that the Lord your God has given to you as an inheritance, you must not let anything that breathes remain alive. Indeed, you shall annihilate them. And so, uh, you know, if you didn't quite catch it, pause it, pause your podcast, rewind and listen to that over again. Uh, that that kind of stuff for me is gut wrenching. The, the, like that's what that's what God is being portrayed as, and so basically to that way of thinking, mm-hmm. uh, those portraits of God, I just say no. So the eighth chapter, I think it is, or seventh or eighth chapter of Only Love, is essentially dedicated to working around these types of verses yeah. and giving, trying to trying to create that system, that framework that allows us to toss toss these kinds of portraits of God out uh, yeah. out the window. Yeah. So I rely heavily on, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Greg Boyd. Yep. He wrote this big monumental two volume work called crucifixion of the warrior God, which I highly recommend for anybody that wrestles with kind of the nastiness of God. Did you the read Bible. the whole thing? Yeah. It's, wow. it's like 14, 1500 That's an pages. That's an investment. Yeah. That was, yeah. It was, uh, I think it was right when COVID was starting that I got go. my copy. So, sure. you know, I had a little extra, a little, <laughs> little extra time. Sure. But yeah. Uh, there, he has a popular version too called uh, Cross Vision, and I think it's only two hundred pages, so a little. Yeah, it's like the so smaller version. I would, yeah, yeah, shorter <laughs> attention spans. Totally would recommend that uh, for folks. It's yeah, I'm sure just as uh, just as worth reading. But essentially, Boyd argues in his books that God was perceived as what I would consider to be a rather vile creature. God was perceived mm-hmm. by the Hebrews like this because that's how everybody else in the ancient Near East saw their gods. Yeah. Uh, so all these entities, you know, they would go out and slay their enemies. Mm-hmm. And basically after they won a battle, the winning side would say that it was their God that allowed them or told them or helped them to, to prevail. And so, you know, since the old Testament authors were influenced by their culture, just like, you know, you Glenn and I are, yeah. uh, they would write their happenings down as they perceived them to take place. So, you know, they won a battle, 
they glorified God by saying God had been the one that went out and told them to go and do these incredibly nasty things. So uh, for me, that vile God, in other words, a God who's anything but love, uh, you know, like one who looks over our shoulders, uh, checking lists to see if we've been naughty or nice, mm -hmm. that God, to me, I will label that a human conceptual conceptualization yeah. and pretty much toss it out. It's not worth my time. Yeah. It's not worth my time. Yeah. Hey, that's really good. I mean, I had Brian McLaren on the show a while back and he, he, it wasn't his last book, I think it was the book before that, but he was talking to me about how when we insist upon holding on to verses like that one in Deuteronomy, and we, we want to say that, well, you know, one of the things I always heard growing up was, well, you know, we don't know why God did that, but God had his reasons and we just have to trust and have faith. And like for a while, yeah, like being yeah. the good evangelical boy, like the soldier, you know, I was like, that was, that was, that was an acceptable answer for me. But once I grew or to ask questions, like I really wrestled with things like that, because it's like, God is like literally commanding you just to annihilate people for really no good reason at all. And yeah. to take the women, take the children. We all know what that means. And like, take yeah. all the treasures, take all this stuff. Like, it just doesn't seem right. And, and McLaren said to me that the danger with that is that when people insist upon holding on to that, it's like you keep the genocide ticket in your back pocket because it's like, mm. you know, well, God did it then. And God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So God very well could God do, can it do it tomorrow. Yeah. And God oh. told a leader in that passage to do it. And so therefore God could tell one of our leaders today to do it as well. And it yeah. becomes more palatable to accept like annihilation and genocide when you can read the scriptures and see that God did it then. So God very well could do it today. And, and again, just, just like back then, we didn't know why we don't understand it. We'll understand it someday. So same today, we don't understand why God allows us to happen or tells this stuff to happen. But one day when we get to heaven, we'll all understand. And like, that's just such yeah. a dangerous way, I think, to live our lives, especially in a world today when we have weapons that are just off the charts a thousand times worse than the weapons were back then. Like we have weapons that can literally destroy masses amount of people at one time. Yeah. And if that's the theology that we're running around with, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. It's very dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. Oh, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a... Uh... Now that we've... We that we're going in a deep, dark place. Let's just shake that. Let's, let's shake that off. <laughs> so the book you talk you talk in the book as well about uh, converting people and how God. I think you say God doesn't want us to convert people, and uh, I found that really interesting because again, like we come from this very similar world, and back in my day, like evangelism was huge for me. Like I wanted to be the best evangelist that there was. I mean, I took evangelism class when I was in college. I did the whole evangelism explosion thing. Like I knew the Roman road, wow. like the back of my hand, leading people to the sinner's prayer. Like I, I really wanted to be all in on that kind of stuff. Uh, but now I'm in this wow. place, obviously, where like I'm, you know, like I just don't see the point uh, for, for that at all. And I, I feel like mm -hmm. you, like God doesn't want to convert people. So I'm wondering, what did evangelism play any role in your past? And if it did, uh, kind of what was the maybe the process looked like for you as you kind of deconstructed that or moved away from that um, in your own, in your own faith. You know, it's hard to pinpoint. I, I didn't have like a, an aha moment. I think mm -hmm. like a lot of people, it was pretty yeah. slow. And I think it happened probably late high school is when it, when it started uh, to, to dissipate to some degree, mm -hmm. but I, I think the bulk of it actually happened. And this is kind of comical 
but it was my the bulk of my deconstruction if we're going to use that word right mm-hmm. happened while i was as, working as a pastor you know and what it, what do you, it's funny what do, you how do that as works. a pastor <laughs> right. you're tasked as a pastor you're literally tasked <laughs> to convert people so as to put food on your own table right, right? i mean that's that's the job description that's the goal <laughs> I, I, that's that is that is that is that is perhaps not being as kind of to pastors uh as as i ought be but it, it, it frankly if you're going to boil it down that's a lot just of just being real is. here on the what if project that's all yeah being that's real. right <laughs> and so i found that method of or that version whatever you want to call it that method that version of christianity Mm-hmm. to be so contrary to the version of God that I had began to construct during this time. Yeah. Um, right. This God of only love. And that was, I think a big part of where I began to s- stop attempting to convert. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and theologically I was okay with it. And I say that because I feel like all, love always seems to win, but it does so quietly. Mm. Like it's not, it's not this, incredibly loud and obnoxious victory dance that love goes through when it does win. It's, it's a very, it's a very subtle, uh, subtle triumph. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier with the, the, but God, mm-hmm. right. Where God loves you. And sure. There are obviously some conditions that are attached to make that love a reality. Um, and that's very much like the context that I was working in as a pastor. And I'm sure you were probably working in a very similar realm. Yeah. Um, and as time went on, I, you know, I'd been working on this book. I, uh, was almost done with seminary. That way of thinking just kind of became more and more abrasive to me to mm-hmm. the point where like, I just couldn't, I, I, that context didn't fit who I was at all. Sure. Sure. Um, but then I find it interesting because like, what am I doing now? Yeah. I, I with this book in particular, you mm-hmm. know? Because if I'm going to be fair, this book is in a very real sense evangelism, right? <laughs> I said earlier, I have a target audience in mind. It's yeah. Christians who are perhaps a little bit insulated in their thinking. Yeah. Um, and it's written with the intent of enlarging their worldviews. I'm evangelizing my own heresy to them, as it were. Sure. Um, so I don't know, Glenn, have I, have I really changed all that much? Like, is my, have I just decided to evangelize different things? Like, at the very yeah. least, I hope that... <clears throat> what I'm trying to evangelize is, has become more holistic Yeah. that I, that I don't, it's not as dogmatic hmm. and I don't feel that God calls us to, to, to evangelize. I say, I think I say that in the book, Yeah. but like, it, I think that's part a big part of that is because like God is very happy with who we are. Mm-hmm. If a God, if God really is holy love, only love, uh, the, there's nothing, there's nothing in us that God sees, but that yeah. God only sees yeah. the good. And it's very difficult, I think, to, to want to change somebody, you know, when all you see is, is the good in them. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I've changed all that much in my own, that my methods have changed. The type of things that I'm evangelizing has changed, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but I think I, I at least hope to have eliminated some of the conditions, some of those ulterior motives. Yeah. That's got um, me thinking because I was I'm thinking the same thing now because I'm I'm thinking now on the flip side. But go ahead, yeah. No, no, yeah. Like I, I'm just selling a different product now. Yeah. Really, and I and so sometimes I, I that keeps me up at night. Go go on though because you're selling no. a different product too. You we flipped the coin. <clears throat> yeah. But it's still a coin. 
I was just thinking that because I just like before I said like I you know evangelism is you know move past that converting people whatever but I think now that you're talking I think in the past I was trying to convert people to a more narrow worldview but these days I find myself trying to convert people to an expanded much wider worldview and like I think about I think it's Richard Rohr who uses that analogy that like religions, the religions of the world and God. He says that like, imagine you and I are walking through uh, like the forest and we were hiking and we come across this huge roaring stream and we take out our cups and we dip our cups in the stream. And then I say to you, this cup of water is the only cup in the world that can quench anybody's thirst. And you say, no, it's my cup can quench thirst. And meanwhile, we're arguing about our cups. We both just dipped our cups into the river or the stream in front of us that can give thirst to everybody in the world. And that's often how we treat, we treat God. So I think in the past, I was trying to evangelize people to my cup to get them to yeah. drink from my yeah. cup. But now I'm trying to evangelize people to the stream. Like it doesn't matter what your cup looks like. It doesn't matter what your your background, your context, what holy book you kind of align yourself with, like the river's in front of us. So let's just dip our cups in the river. Let's take a drink and let's just keep on walking on the path. And we might not see God. We might not see theology and things eye to eye, but we can all be arm in arm. We can kind of move forward together yeah. in the world. So I feel like now that you're speaking, yes, I am evangelizing, <laughs> but a much different <laughs> message than I used to. <laughs> No, I love that. Reasons, it, it, different reasons. Instead of constricting and making worldviews more confined, you try to enlarge them. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying though a minute ago. Like, what love? What does love do? It loves quietly. That's right. And I think that that's. I think our posture changes so much that's when right. we go from trying to constrict to that single cup, and instead of opening up and saying, "Here's the, here's the stream, here's the river," um, I think that our love becomes a lot more quiet. And That's maybe right. even more meaningful because of that. That's right. That's really good. You have time for one more question? Hit me. All right. Last question. So you talk about reimagining God, this reimagined vision of God. Um, mm -hmm. And I imagine that also your understanding of Jesus and the cross has also been reimagined. So one of the big questions I get from people who still identify as a Christian is, you know, I'm deconstructing whatever. I'm like moving past this fundamentalist place I used to be in, but I still don't know what to do with Jesus and the cross mm -hmm. in the midst of all of this, because there's all these things about Jesus dying for sins and atonement, all this kind of stuff. Like, I don't know if I believe all that stuff anymore, but like the Bible kind of says this, like, so what do you, what do you Nick do with the narrative, so to speak of Jesus and the cross? And how does that fit into this reimagined vision of God that you have? Yeah. You know, I love the question. I really do. And I, I wonder why I haven't been asked it more mm -hmm. like because of the way I kind of, I don't talk a ton about uh, Christology and crucifixion, I guess too much in the book. Yeah. Um, but for me, I would say that the cross shows us, if anything, the cross mm -hmm. shows us the humanity of God. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that intimate intimate excuse me the intimate the intimacy of god that or of god's humanity doesn't like you know just cascade down elsewhere throughout scripture i think it certainly does and i talk about a lot of those places in the book yeah um 
but the person of Jesus in the person of Jesus, I don't, I don't think no matter how you, how you think of him, you know, you could think of him as like a really nice dude, uh, a really talented magician, or like the actual son of an omni god. There's tons of ways you can think about Jesus, right? But no matter how you think about Jesus, I think the gospel authors were pretty clearly working to convey that Jesus was God and that God was human, right? They were keen to point out that relationship between humanity and divinity, and I think really try and divulge how similar the two could be. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, your question kind of touches on like, I guess, atonement theories, mm-hmm. and I'm not terribly keen on any particular atonement <laughs> theory, at least right now. Me I haven't found one. <laughs> I haven't found one that really fits with my own theological worldview. Yeah. I'm not sure I will. Glenn, I, I, maybe I hope I will, or you will find one and then let it, let me know what it is so that <laughs> I have an atonement theory that, that, you know, works. Yeah. Um, I'll just say penal substitutionary atonement is trash, absolute trash. <laughs> doesn't work. Anybody wants throw that to. right off the, right off the bat. We don't in know which one anybody, works, but in that case one anybody was work. wondering, exactly, <laughs> yeah, uh, precisely. Uh, that one's absolute trash. Uh, so no, I don't think that like you know Jesus essentially died to save us from his angry dad. That's right. <laughs> that's no, I'm not there. In case anybody's wondering, yeah. but I think the cross can still be a useful theological tool. Yeah. Um, in that it begins to tell us a lot more about ourselves, about yeah. hum- humanity. If we really yeah. start to, to look and it, it maybe tells us even more about ourselves than it tells us about God, right? Yeah. It tells us how vile we can be uh, in the case of some of the stories, stories, villains, but it also shows what like compassion truly is even in the midst of atrocious behavior that's extended to Jesus yeah. through, um, through those villains. Yeah. And I think that, you know, perhaps learning about ourselves, like, what we're capable on both ends of that spectrum is perhaps that's the greatest gift that the story of the cross can give us. That's right. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, I guess that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at as far as the cross goes. These yeah. Days. That's really helpful. I mean, I've had people ask me like, why do you still like, given where you are in your faith journey, like, why do you still wear a cross around your neck? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, that, that cross I've had this cross on since I was, in high school, I think. And when I identified wow. in a more fundamentalist way, but for me, that the meaning of that cross has evolved and changed over time. Mm. And I feel like I'm in this place now where depending on the day, depending on the situation I'm in, like the cross has a different meaning. Like you said, like it can remind me that in my worst moments, I can be so vile that I could nail somebody and their character, their person, whatever, their story to a cross and my own anger and my own wrath and my own hatred that, that that spirit, so to speak, lives within me somewhere. And I have to remember yeah. that we're all capable of those things. But it also reminds me on another day, you know, that, um, you know, from the cross, Jesus shouted forgiveness and Jesus shouted love. You know, they, he said, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so also buried within me, I think, is the capability to love and the capability to forgive and things like that. Like Jesus, in essence, on the cross is like holding up a mirror saying, let me show you, (laughs) let me remind you who you really are, because Uh, all this yelling and shouting and nailing me to the cross, that's not who you are, but this is who you are. I try to look at the cross and meditate on, on that, like on those words and that those words on my best day, I'm able to do that. And that that should always be be the goal. And so I think, you know, the cross is very meaningful to me. A lot of people think, well, you know, Jesus and the cross, it's all meaningless now, but it's not, it has even more meaning 
to me than it did uh, in the past. So that's really good. Yeah. And I love, I mean, how scripture, at least if you're using the same canon that I grew up with, Genesis opens up with humanity, like being formed in the image and the likeness of God, right? Like we're in a way part and parcel with God. We're like a part of God. And so that whole mirror image of the cross, like it means it it takes on a new meaning, I guess, in that way. Yeah. You know, like I, I think in the book, I go so far as to say that the love inside of us is that, that, that divine love is, is God living within us, you know? And I think that when we begin to embrace that, when we begin to, to realize that, like, that's, that's what we need to be, to be who we are, uh, or to, to be who, who we can be, uh, to recognize that somehow God and I are attached to the hip, you know, that's right. That I'm filled with the fire of Pentecost or the, the spirit or the, 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 the very breath of God. I think it changes how we think about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, And that that's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I've been reading a lot of the, uh, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know, I've been reading a lot of the Gnostic texts and things like that have been really interesting to me. And there's one, the gospel of truth and written by maybe a guy named Valentinus or Valentinus. I don't know how they say his name, but something like that. But anyway, he says in there that like Jesus, his death wasn't to save us from our sins, but almost to save us from our forgetfulness and our Mm. tendency to forget who we are and to forget the fact that that breath of God is planted deep inside of us because it gets covered up by the baggage and all the things of life that we pick up along the way. And that Jesus's life and him holding up that mirror is him helping us, trying to help us remember who we really are so that we can live from that place, just like he lived through that from that place in his life. And that's so important to recognizing that in ourselves, Yeah. because I think it begins to change how we interact with those around us, or at least I hope it would. Yeah. Right. When we think about God and we think about the cross, we think about Jesus differently. Yeah. Um, When we think about our neighbor, just like ourselves as being like born of God, no matter how different from us they may be uh, like all of a sudden how we treat them begins to matter. Yeah. Uh, You know, showing them kindness amidst the turmoil like, you know, holding our tongue when, when we're really, really enraged, uh, you know, allowing for them to make like choices for themselves and validating those choices without like judgment or interference. I think we've kind of been given the opportunity to do that when we begin to see each other as like part and parcel with God. Yeah. Um, And I think that brings probably the greatest gift. That's like the greatest gift of, of, of following a God that looks like looks like love yeah Yeah. and i think that brings to life that magnifies those words of jesus when he says that when you what you do to somebody else you do to me and i think that yeah when we see when i can see that within you lives the same breath the same spirit that lives in me if i do something to you i in essence do the same thing to me because we're connected at that level and so if i can see within you the same thing within me it's going to help me treat you in a much more respectable kind of a way yeah yeah it's really good yeah good hey man we're just about out of time but this has been a lot of fun i feel like we have more things that we can talk about so we're gonna have to do a part two because i feel like we just warmed up (laughs) just some really good stuff yeah totally down yeah well thank you for taking time to join me i really appreciate it of course of course and uh real quick where can people go to find you online what are the best where are the places you hang out okay i'm not terribly active on social medias uh but I do have them. I do have them. <laughs> they're there. They're all, they're all there. I, they're at Nick rude mm-hmm. on 
pretty much all platforms. So, you know, the one I guess I do use Instagram the most, but it's mostly just me posting pictures of mountains. So, you know, you may not hear about my work as much as you want there, but uh, <laughs> it'll happen. Uh, but honestly, probably the best way to contact me is by email. Yeah. You go to my website, nickrude.com. Uh, and then just click the contact button and you, you'll uh, you'll get sent something to my inbox. Just so you, I mean, it's straightforward as long as you like know how to spell my name. So yeah, I was going to say, it's, yeah. it's NIQ. It's a, it's a trick. Yeah. It's a curveball. It's a trick. <laughs> so if you know how to spell my name, you can find me online. If not, who knows? You may find somebody else and hopefully they'll be uh kind to you not rude (laughs) (laughs) not not too rude yeah that's awesome i'll put all the links in the show notes and i will do it again soon brilliant hey thank you glenn it was uh fantastic talking to you sir thank you Wishing for my people. Uh, we should have more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride, did this beat neat, everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys, Carolina Rose on freeze, wishing I could fly to the keys, that will be more free. Something in my mind hit the dough, put on my fresh fit. So, Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign.